Good morning, Randall Church. Glad you're here with us this morning. As Brian said, it is a little hot in here. And, uh, you know, my wife thought it'd be a good idea to buy a new sweater for today's occasion. And uh, thank you, Nicole. She's not in the room right now, but I'm sure she'll hear about it later. <laughs> so I would take it off, but that would be awkward. Um, so my name is Mike Okier. I'm a, Rand I'm, I'm a Randall here. I'm an elder here at Randall Church. Uh, Nicole and I and our two kids moved to uh, Buffalo in, on January 1st, 2012. Simon was a week old, and uh, that's how long we've been coming to Randall. We've been here about nine years now. And you guys have seen Simon grow. Now he's uh, definitely a boy of, of stature and uh, some volume, so, so he's, he's loud. So, but, but, uh, but we appreciate what you guys have done for us, and we're so happy to be here as a part of, of Randall Church. Um, we're going to start uh, today's text in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. We're going to start there, and we're going to go through the end of the chapter. So if you guys want to get your Bibles out and you want to get ready for that, uh, that'd be fantastic. We're going to go ahead and start reading that here in a second. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast, according to the custom. After the feast was over, his parents were returning home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they, the parents, were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, li listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with, with them and was obedient to them. But his, mother re, um, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So, previous chapter, we had just left, and, and starting into the Christmas story in Luke, we had, we had just left Jesus being born, the virgin birth, the Christmas story. And then we see Jesus presented at the temple. And a couple of key people come out in those points. Uh, Anna, who is a, a prophetess who had been uh, in the church, or in the, uh, in the temple there for a long, long time after her husband had died, uh, some many decades, and she came out, and uh, she was overjoyed at the birth of Jesus, and, and Mary of Joseph, knowing, knowing who Jesus, their, their son was, were, were, were overjoyed with them. 
with her. And then Simeon, the same thing. Uh, he, uh, would, he would go on to say that, that, that Jesus would be uh, the redemption of, of, of Jerusalem, of Israel. So there was a lot of fresh things going on in, in the parents' heads at this time of, of Jesus. They, knowing who he is and the celebration of his birth, and, and we just got to witness that. So fast forward to verse 40, and we see Jesus now is a young boy, or 12 years old. So what happened to those years in between? Well, we really don't have those, but, but Luke thought it appropriate to put the story in here for us to learn about today. See, they call those years the silent years from when Jesus was born up until uh, we see here in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Those silent years, many people have wondered about and they've thought about and they've tried to plug in stories and, and come up with some, some ideas of what the boy Jesus might have done. But we believe that, that this is the account that we should be focused on uh, here today. So the text starts in verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Now let's start by noting a couple of points here. Maybe, um, maybe a little bit review for somebody, but the term child here just means little child. Uh, he, he's, a little, he's a little boy at this point, little child. But later on in verse 43, we see a different word used, which means the boy. So we can see he's growing up here. See, the word grow or grew apparently refers to just physical growth. Uh, the King James Version actually uses a cool word, word called waxed. He waxed on. Now, that's probably something familiar to you and, and me. But really, back then, you know, the, uh, King James was translated in the 1600s. They used candles to light the room, right? And they had to make candles to do so. And if anybody's ever made a candle before, uh, when I was younger and, and lived in the south, southeast Michigan, we used to go to the Greenfield Village where they would have an old village set up uh, and during that time or the 1700s and you would go in and you would actually do some of these things and you would take a, a string has anybody ever done this before take a string and you dip it in the in the hot wax and then come out and have a little bit on there and you're like well that was a lot of work for just a little bit and then you had to dip it in again and every time you did it it got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and you get harder and wider and bigger until it could stand on its own and that's kind of the word we see here when we talk in verse 40 about Jesus He's just an infant child growing. He's waxing on. He's, he's, he's getting bigger. He can stand on his own. It also says he grew in wisdom and in the grace of God was on him. He was also filled with wisdom. And perhaps more than normal um, child, but, but this simply could just mean that his inner growth kept pace with his physical growth. He was a normal growing boy at this point. Verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Every year. His parents are noted here as being plural. Usually the man or the head of the household or husband would be the only one who would go on and, uh, to Jerusalem for the uh, feast of the Passover, festival of the Passover. But, this, but Mary followed along. Mary went with him. She cared about the upbringing and what was going on with Jesus' life, and he wanted, she wanted to be a part of that. So she went along. It was optional for her to go, but she went along with them. 
This testimony of her and her character is how we see how hungry Mary was to be involved and be a good mother uh, to Jesus, the boy Jesus. Verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. See, this is a very important time in Jesus' life, too, that has come about. See, he's about 12 years old. And at this time in a boy's life in, in Jewish custom, they would start to learn the trade or the, the profession of the father. And in Joseph's case, his father's case, he was a carpenter. So even more so, Jesus would probably be learning at this point how to be a carpenter, how to build things. Uh, you know, maybe not, maybe not little tables and stuff like that. Maybe he's more of a general contractor, you know, Joseph at the time, and would go places and, and build things up. And Jesus would, would go with him probably and, and learn that. So, it, so when we look at this, we see Jesus is traveling. He's with Joseph. And this time, this time what he's doing that, he's becoming a man. He's, he's at that age of what we would call or what they would consider becoming a child or becoming aware of the law, right? We might liken that to a bar mitzvah today. Uh, usually when a Jewish point today celebrates his bar mitzvah at 13. This is around that time and Jesus is learning that. It's not necessarily a bar mitzvah. I don't, I don't think that's the case here. But he's definitely learning and becoming a child, somebody, uh, a man aware of the law. Verse 43, after the festival was over, or as the King James says, when they had fulfilled the days, after they'd been there for a while and they have done what they needed to do in, in, in honoring the festival, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they, the parents, were unaware of it. Now, can you imagine, well, we just got through Christmas, and, and some of us in here either have or have had young kids, and, or been young kids, most of you, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, and we've, gotten, we've gone to bed on Christmas Eve in anticipation of the next morning, right? And Christmas is a joyous time for all of us, but for kids, they, they th they're thinking about the presents under the tree, and they're thinking about getting up and having a, a hot cup of cocoa, or whatever you guys do in, in your homes, but there's anticipation there. But think about Jesus and, and the Passover, and him coming up to the Passover, and the Passover is pointing to him, right? Jesus knows this is this time. He's, he's learned about this. He's, he's, he's growing up as a child and in, in, uh, as a Jewish boy, and he's learned about what the Passover means and how these things connect to him because of who he is. Think about how much more passionate Jesus would have been as a boy about celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem. I bet he was giddy about it. I bet he probably tried to run in front of his parents and get there ahead of him, but they kept reeling him back, right? No, Jesus, you got to stay with the pack here. We got we to gotta get there together. But I want to skip ahead here a little bit, a few verses. We talked about Jesus' growth as a, as a boy, as a child into a boy. I want to go ahead and get to verse 52, just for a little bit. And it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The word increased here is a little bit different than the word grew that we learned before. In verse 40, growing or grew is, is something natural that happens. This is physical growth. But here, there's a purpose behind it. See, this word increased is more of an engineering term. Think about people maybe in the jungle 
or in, in, a, in a really dense area where uh, they had to chop ahead to, to knock things down. Maybe they had knives or machetes or something. And all the physical work and, and taking that stuff down and, and making a path, right? That's the kind of word we see here is Jesus increased. It's an engineering term to beat or to chop forward. Strenuous activity, energy uh, on his part to do that. Another thing I like to think about is, is maybe forging metal. Maybe there's people who are familiar with metalworking and, and what you have to do to, to make a sword or an axe. Maybe you've seen it on TV where, where they put it in a fire and they take it out and they hammer it and they hammer it and they hammer it to get the form out. That's the kind of, that's the kind of word for growth we're, we're using here. Not, not something physical that just happens. It's something you have to strive for and push for. It also said he was in favor with God. So this is spiritual growth. So we see him growing, uh, pushing himself, propelling, propelling himself forward to learn, and then we uh, spiritual growth in favor with God. And then at the same time, in favor with man, and the development of his personality and social growth. He's becoming known by the people around. Um, he's developing his personality. He's developing who he's going to be as a human man. So here's a picture of a perfectly balanced and symmetrical human life. See, Jesus lived the only absolutely normal human life ever lived. Now, there's Bills fans here in the room. I hope there's no Dolphins fans, but uh, who knows? We're sending in Team B today, so maybe you guys will be delighted. I hope not. <laughs> but um, I wouldn't consider us as Bills fans to be normal all the time. <laughs> Some of us are table breakers. Some of us get a little loud and, and proud of our team. But that's okay. But, you know, Jesus was absolutely a perfect, normal human. Uh, there was a perfect balance between the physical and the mental and the spiritual and the social and his domestic side. He was a perfectly balanced, symmetrical human. At each stage of his life, it was perfect for that stage. As a child... He was perfectly innocent, and now becoming a man, he was going to be perfectly holy. Now let's take this familiar story and look at it in kind of an unfamiliar way. Let's think about what it reveals about how and what happened when Mary and Joseph lost sight of Jesus and how we might lose sight of Jesus. Think about this statement. Every sin a Christian commits results from the loss of perspective. A Christian never sins except when he misplaces his attention from its proper object. Let's take the words of Hebrews 12 for a moment. It says, and let us run with perseverance. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See that pioneer. That, see, when he's increasing, when he's growing, I, I think of, I think he's pioneering a trail. He's blazing a trail. He's moving forward. He's got a goal. He's now becoming a man. He's looking forward to what his goal is. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, our attention, our focus, our perspective should be that focused on Jesus. We should have a laser focus 
on Jesus. Anything else, any other distraction could cause us to stumble. But but what happens when we do stumble? And what do we see happening here uh, with Mary and Joseph? Verse 44, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. Now here's one reason for losing sight of Jesus. It's by carelessness, by sheer carelessness. See, we just talked about the typical journey uh, Jerusalem looked for a family then, or let's talk about it. You know, typically what would happen is, is the women would go on ahead before the men, and the men would follow. So they're, le- they're leaving Jerusalem to go back up to, to um, Nazareth, and the, the women have tarried on ahead, and the men are behind. And what they'll do is at the next station, they'll sleep. They'll, the families will get back together. They travel together. They'll get back together. The women will go on again, and the men will tear down camp and follow them. But at this time, we see that Jesus is now transforming from a boy into a man. See, before, Jesus would have been with Mary and the women traveling with them in a caravan. But on the way back, it's possible that Jesus would have been traveling with the men now, right? Because now he's becoming a man, a a child of the law and a man, taking on his father's trade, starting to do things on his own. So now now he would travel with the men. So we can kind of see how maybe a little bit of carelessness on Mary and Joseph's part here could have taken place with the loss of losing Jesus. Where is he? (laughs) Well, Mary probably thought he was back with Joseph and the men, right? Or Joseph probably thought, vice versa, he was up with Mary and the women. So it's easy to see this kind of oversight and how it could happen. Let me tell you a little story and uh, some experience I have with this um, situation. Back in 2004, 2005, I was a youth minister in Saline, Michigan at Fellowship Baptist Church. And every year it became typical, and, and this was for any, oops, there you go, for any kid in that area to make a pilgrimage down to Cedar Point, America's roller coast. Anybody familiar with that place? Maybe a couple. They have insane rides there, insane. Uh, Miss Marilyn Law must have ridden some of them. <laughs> uh, but think about Darien Lake just pumped up much, much bigger, right? So we would go down there, and we would stand in line for 14 hours to ride, you know, 15, 20 minutes worth of rides. And at the end of the day, in the summer, it's hot. You know, the sun's beating down. And we're just ready to go home. It's dark now. We're exhausted. Our legs hurt. You know, Nicole, my wife, probably had blisters on her feet at this point. We just want to get going. Now, when we left, we'd taken two vans, right? We piled the kids into two vans, and we took off. And, boy, it was a great trip down there, about a two-and-a-half-hour drive. And now we wanted to go, and the crowds were dispersing. You could think about, you know, every just, everybody just going for the gates and getting out to the cars and then getting in there, and the traffic jam ensues and all that. So we had taken account of all the kids, or so we had thought. Now, you can probably think of, you know, Kevin McAllister at this point, right? You know, in, in Home Alone, like, oh, Kevin, where are you? Well, we had, we had left, and I was, I, was, I was in charge of the group. I, I had to get us going, and I wanted to charge on. I wanted to get going. I just wanted to drive straight home. But usually what happens when you get a bunch of kids and people in the car, 
What's the first thing you got to do after you started going? You, you got to stop to go to the bathroom, right? I didn't want to do this. I just wanted to keep forging forward, but we had to stop. So we made it a little ways down the road, and we thought we had everybody. We we assumed that everybody that we didn't have was in the truck and back or van in back of us, and we had the rest of them. And when we got there and we took count, we noticed we were a boy light. We had left Travis back at Cedar Point. It was getting on midnight at this time, all by himself. He's about 12, 13, 14 years old. I can't remember the exact age. But this is when panic started to set in, okay? Nicole and I looked frantically around uh, whatever it was, Burger King or whatever it was, to find him. He wasn't in the bathroom. He wasn't in the, he wasn't in the car. He wasn't in line. He wasn't in the parking lot. We must have left him back at Cedar Point. So, a secondary thing, and my motive was to get out, to get charging on, to get home, to make perfect time, and I lost my primary attention, right? I was responsible to make sure all those boys and girls got home safely, and I'd like to point the finger at somebody else, but I can't. (laughs) It was my fault that Travis was left behind. So I had to turn around and go back. We lost him in the crowd on the way back to the trucks. He must have just gotten misplaced and we thought he was with us. So how did we fix this problem? What was the remedy for doing this? Well, we turned around. We went back. We had to go back and get him. See, during this time, you know, it was a fast trip out, but the trip going back to find him was much, much longer, right? Because so time passed fast leaving, but now time dragged on and we were anxious and we wanted to get there. We wanted to make sure that Travis was okay. Right? And visions of Travis standing around a burn barrel and foraging for food and begging, you know, were going through my mind at this point. I, <laughs> I wanted to get there as soon as possible. And we got there and we found him at the guard shack, safe and sound. And I remember the words he said to me, clear as day, when we saw him. I apologized to him. I said, Travis, I'm sorry we left you behind. He says, Mr. Mike, I can't believe you forgot me. And he got in the van and he crossed his arms and was silent for the rest of the ride home until I saw his parents, who were so delighted that I was an hour late. But we see this story, and it kind of fits. Maybe some of you have a story. Uh, Somebody after the first service was sharing something like this. But we can see how easy it is to misplace somebody or misplace something. See, here in Dr. Luke's Gospels, we find ourselves reading about the same kind of situation. That secondary thing became my primary attention. I lost them. Mary and Joseph, secondary things became their primary concern. They were walking home. They They were trying to get home. They were with their family. They were foraging forward. They were having a good time. They had just come off of a high of being in the presence of God at the temple and they lost sight of their son. Hmm. Verse 45. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now, Luke's statement here is pretty brief, right? It doesn't say a whole lot. They went back and looked for him, period. But imagine the grief that came over Mary. She's a day's journey away from her son right now. Now, I know some moms and dads who maybe, you know, turned around and their kid was gone and they were over there and they panicked, 
But imagine being, you know, 10, 12 miles away and you have to walk back to see where he is. And all of the things that are running through Mary and Joseph's head at that point, is Jesus okay? Where is he? What's he doing? Is he standing in front of a burn barrel begging for food? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) But that could be something that a parent would think. So they turn back. First thing they did is they stopped. They stopped dead in their tracks. They said, oh, we've made a mistake. I have to, we have to turn the ship around. We have to go back and find Jesus. They turned around. They went the other direction. They had to get back to where they started, to where they last left him. And they sought him. They looked for him, earnestly, anxiously looking for him. And what does Mary say when they find him? Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now, I can kind of feel the frustration in Mary's voice here, right? Is she a happy mom? (laughs) Probably not. She's probably angry at herself and Joseph. I could imagine being Joseph in this picture, and I can't believe you didn't count where your son was. (laughs) But she's also targeting Jesus here. Why have you treated us this way? King James Version uses a word called behold. Behold! Look, kid, where were you? (laughs) Wow, right? So finally they found him, and where was he? He was in his father's house. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Verse 49, why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Or, as the King James says, going about my father's business or of my father's business? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So let's think about this. In what sense did they lose Jesus? Nicole and I uh, walked the dog last night, and we talked about this for a little bit. And uh, the, the only thing we come up with is that they lost fellowship with him. Now, sometimes our kids go on walks with us. Phoebe's 14, uh, Simon's 9. Phoebe likes to come uh, a lot of time and go on the walks. And, and Nicole is a fast walker. I went mall walking with her the other day, and she just clips along, right? I'm, I'm holding out for dear life. I'm trying. You know, we, we walked around Eastern Hills over here. I think we did four laps. It was about three and a half miles, and we did it in an hour. And I'm sweating, and I'm trying to keep up, you know, and she's like, come on, Mike, come on, let's go, let's go. And she wants me to be healthy and all that. I'm looking at my Fitbit, you know, it's like telling me I'm going to die soon. <laughs> so I just want, you know, I, I, I struggled to keep up with her. Now, Phoebe, who's 14, she's not the fastest kid in the world, You know, so when we go for walks, she struggles to keep up with her too. And oftentimes I look back and I say, hey, Phoebe, come on, let's go. And she'll wander off and she'll be like, oh, I'll be there in a minute. You know, she's 14. But when Phoebe goes up and she holds Nicole's hand to try to keep pace for her, with her, that I think is exactly what we're looking at here with what Mary and Joseph might have lost with Jesus for a little while. See, when we get focused on something else, when we lose focus of Jesus, when we lose our primary focus to be with Jesus or about 
his business in our lives. We might lose fellowship with him. You see, when Phoebe goes up and she grabs Nicole's hand, Nicole has to slow down a little bit, but Phoebe has to speed up a little bit. So you see the, the relationship tension there and the fellowship starting to happen. See, when the hand-holding isn't there, Phoebe gets left behind, right? But it's up to Phoebe to, to engage that, and, and Nicole's always there to do that. So, so that, that, that kindling and that, that re-fellowshipping up and keeping pace with her is the same way that we can reach out to the Lord and grab his hand to keep pace with him, to keep focus on our goal. Say so they did not, and they could not, lose a relationship with him, right? That was their son. That was, their, that was a parent. That, that is an unbreakable relationship. And we, as Christians, we enjoy that same kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. See, once we give our lives over to him and we ask him to come in our heart and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and he is the only way that we can experience real, full, true life and eternity with him in heaven, once we do that, we become grafted in to his family. And sometimes we do lose fellowship with him. Sometimes we can lose focus, just like I did with poor little Travis. And I tell you what, I've lost a lot of focus over this last year because of all the things going on. Let's read on. Then they went down to Nazareth after they had resumed the relationship and, and gotten Jesus back. They went down to Nazareth with them. He went down with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Guys, I want to ask us a question here today. Christian brothers and sisters and friends, how far have we traveled without Jesus? Christians, how far, where did you let go of his hand? I'm sure, I'm sure it's safe to say that some of us, or all of us in this room, have probably gone a little ways without him at some point in our lives. And maybe can remember a few times going back. I know myself as a recovering addict and and the things that I've gone through in the past decade. I've had to reach out for his hand quite a few times. But how far is too far? One step, one heartbeat is too far if we lose sight and focus on Jesus. It doesn't matter how far you've gone without him. His hand's always available to be held. You can always reach out and grab him and ask him to bring you back. Christian brothers and sisters, he is our father. He is, our, he is the person. He is the, the thing that keeps us together. And if we keep our focus on him, he won't let anything more than we can handle happen to us. So let's think about the last year. I was up here a year ago, almost to the day, and things were a lot different. Right. In the last year we've talked about and we've had to deal with some, so many certain issues. You know, who's going to be president and who's going to wear a mask and who should we tell to wear a mask and, and what kind of things do we have to do here? You know, people, that, people who come to the church are, are watching from home now, which, 
which, you know, we didn't really do before that, right? So, so maybe the distractions these days become a little bit easier to deter us from our focus. And maybe you're at a point right now in your life, in your walk with Jesus, where you have to realign yourself with him, right? It's okay to be frustrated with what's going on in our lives. It's okay to not know what's going to happen tomorrow. But it's not okay to walk through it without Jesus Christ our Savior. So as I ask the band to come back up and we get ready for communion, I want to share with you just a couple of verses that I think we can use to, to try to realign ourselves with Jesus. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 1, if you guys have a Bible and you'd like to turn there. First John chapter 2. says, My dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for the sins uh, for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. A little bit later on in 1 John 5, 1 through 5, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is a love for God, to obey his commands, and, in his, com- and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world and all the things that are happening around us right now. See, back in verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor, but right before that it says he was obedient to his parents after they left there. Fellow Christians, we need to be obedient to the commands of Jesus, and the only command that he's giving us is to obey him, to learn about him, to spend time with him, and to not let go of his hand. One, one more, James 5.16. James 5.16. I need new glasses. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And folks, that's why we're here in this room today. That's why I'm asking every, uh, that's why I want to ask everybody here to keep in touch with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ so that we don't have to go through this alone, okay? So that we can reach out to each other and be strengthened so our brothers and sisters can pray through for us and with us as we try to navigate these rough seas that are ahead, ahead as we try to forge forward just as Jesus did as he was growing, uh, chopping down the way in front of us so that we can keep our focus on him. And I pray that we're all in that room, or in the room, and watching this morning, and we are align, realign ourselves with Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people uh, that you've brought into my life. And Father, um, 
God, I thank you that, that you have all this under control and we have faith that you have all of this under control. And Father, as we look into a new year where we're setting our goals and we're setting new goals for resolutions, Father, I pray that the only resolution, the only goal that we put before us is to focus on you. Father, make you our goal. Father, chase after you. As a writer of Hebrews says, Father, that if we chase you, if we, if we keep our focus on you, we will win the race and you will help us get through it. I pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.